Unfolding the eternal excellences, the hidden insights of the truth and the depth of the riches of wisdom and knowledge. The Bible says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have not pointed to your weaknesses. He says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have pointed to your strength. And this is your strength, that I am Christ in you, the hope of glory. The glory of freedom, the glimpses into eternity. The gospel is not supposed to be an assumption. It's not supposed to be just a mere presupposition. Truth is older than language, but the word of God is way deeper than any human language. And now, Apostle Grace with the word. Today I want to preach one of the most, if not the most unpopular someone you could hear in this century, which is okay because it's expedient that we have such conversations because the times we're living in every other day are becoming more and more volatile, porous, unpredictable, confusing. And if certain things are not redeemed in the sentences you hear on the altar of Jesus Christ, there's a huge concern that the next few couple of years coming, we might not have the church as we know it. So not only do I stand before you as your man of God, but I also stand before you as an apostle of Jesus Christ to emphasize certain things that have been on my heart for a couple of months and weeks and years, but they have become stronger and stronger every other day. That these things I'm going to share in these few minutes, many times have put me in prayer and in tears concerning the things I see about our generation. And I want to extend that burden to you, such that after this sermon, you'll go not only align yourself, but pray for our generation more than you have ever. At least whenever you go to bed, before anything else, speak to God about our generation. Hallelujah. The Word of God is supposed to be preached holistically, not in parts and pieces, as the Bible says that in the last times, men shall gather teachers which shall preach after their own lusts. And therefore, they will not be able to endure sound doctrine. Endure sound doctrine. The word that endure, eh? underline the word endure there, it means there's some sort of long suffering of carrying the conviction, maybe of shame, because maybe they are not aligned to the doctrine. But the Bible speaks of a time where men will not be able to endure because it's going to be like a burden enforced on them. It's going to be like a painful experience when you're preaching truth. And these are the days where now um, it's easy for a pastor to offend. You just need to speak the truth. You don't need to do much. You don't need to steal, kill. You just need to speak the truth and you're going to offend. Of course, some of us, like me, I can speak for myself, have gone beyond seeking popularity. We've gone beyond seeking praises of men. And even as I preach this sermon and the consequent years you'll hear me preach as I have lived, we have prepared ourselves for the worst persecution that could come out of this. We are literally ready, spirit, soul, and body. But we must speak. We must speak. Because God holds us accountable 
people giving us that kind of voice and we're not able to speak. Somebody shout hallelujah. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 verses 3. Paul gives a certain understanding to the church of Thessalonica, warning them of the end times. And he says, let no man deceive you by any means. The Greek word there for means is method. That means a method by which men are deceived. He's writing to the church. He's not writing to unbelievers. He's writing to the church. This message is to the church. I want you to underline that or underscore it. And he says, for that day shall not come. Which day? The end of ages. He says, it shall not come except there come a falling away first and that the man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God, all that is worshipped, so that he, as God, sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Okay? There's a prophecy concerning the end times. And God has given us a fixed mark of proof to spell the signs of the end of the ages, the coming of the son of iniquity, the son of perdition, that man of sin. In Revelations, you call him with a number called triple six. He says, here is wisdom. Revelations 13, 18. Let him that understandeth count the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is six, hundred score and six. That's triple six. He says, this manifestation of this man and the madness that he'll bring in the world will not come until we see a falling away first. The falling away must come first. So that's the one sign that we're about to see the end of ages and the manifestation of the beast on the earth. When I was a young man, I invested a lot in studying end time uh, mysteries. I can teach about end time. I can teach, I know so much about end time. You know, I studied religions, I studied faiths, I understood how they interconnect and humanisms, the nihilisms, the gnostics. The, I, I studied so much, I took a lot of time to understand how some of the religions interconnect together on the altar of Satan and how, you know, confusing and confused our generations have become and the many things that have consumed us. And every other day I see these things evolving. I see culture shifting. I see consciousnesses shifting, you know. As an observer and one who hears God, I have, you know, carried so much pain when I see the things that are changing in our generation and the blindness in part or in full that I continue to see spilling out generation upon generation and creeping in unawares that is even taking the elect of God and has rendered the church of Jesus Christ powerless. I could teach about this I could take hours about hours from the signs, the symbols, the cultures, the altars, the degrees. If I taught about Freemasonry, I know a lot on that. I know a lot on that. I can teach it because I studied it for quite some time. Really, I wanted to find a reconciliation of things, okay? Why do the New Age speak the way they speak? The Illuminati, the Skull and Bones, the Knight Templars. What is the New Age teaching and how is that then in a way consuming and taking our altars. I've understood that for quite some time. I've seen the juxtapositions and the reconciliations of things in the, in the confusion of speaking the same language, but from a different spirit. So for some, it looks like a reconciliation. So that reconciliation there is quote and unquote. So I've seen these things. 
and there are things we cannot share because of the kind of people we talk to. You know, when Jesus is talking to 5,000, it's not the way he talks to the 12, it's not the way he talks to the three. But as the church continues to mature, many of you now are mature to take some of the things and I'll speak from where you are. This portion of scripture, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 3, is one of the most powerful portions of scriptures for us to watch out, especially in this age. Because if we are not at the beginning of it, perhaps we have moved quite some kilometers or miles in the falling away. And he says, this falling away has to come first. I have followed up on a few interpreters and commentators of scripture and I've seen that some actually interpret that portion of scripture, the falling away, the word falling away, they are, they've interpreted it as the rapture. So they're saying that the falling away will come first and then the son of perdition will be exposed. In the sense saying that the word falling away first there means raptured, caught up, falling away. Okay, But if they interpret it there, then there's something irreconcilable. <laughs> because even the word falling, we don't fall, we're taken. Okay, It's only because they don't read the Bible deeply. They read the Bible on surface and pragmatic interpretation. You will know that the Bible, Old Testament, is written in Hebrew and the New Testament is written in Greek. Okay? Presupposing that everything that I translate in English has to come with the translation that the Greek has written it if I'm preaching the New Testament. If I'm talking about the Old Testament, then I have to refer from the original language, uh, Hebrew, in its dimension of thought to be able to translate it either in sentence or word to the man in an inferior language. And the strong definition of this word falling away is the Greek word apostasia, which means apostasy. Your English word, apostasy. And apostasy means a defection from truth. A falling away. A forsaking of the person of Christ. Person of Christ. Not ministry, not the church you go to, but the person of Christ, the forsaking of the person of Christ. You remember in the book of Revelation where it says, I have one thing against you for you have forgotten your first love. You have left your first love. Your first love here, he's not talking about the feelings you had when you just got born again. The word first love there is the person of Christ. Some people continue to run church without Jesus. They continue to run ministry without his doctrine. No purposes. So this is apostasy or apostasia. He says there is going to be an overwhelming sense of defecting from the truth. It's going to be a season of forsaking the person of Christ. That is the fall away. Disconnecting from the truth. Seeing the truth as it is and still refusing to do what is true. And a man chooses his course. This is not for unbelievers. This is for believers. So he's saying the sign begins when we, the believers, defect from truth. We forsake Jesus and then keep a certain form of godliness. Somebody shout hallelujah. And so one famous writer whose article really not only disturbed me but propelled me into deeper prayer for the church he began his sentence like this. He said, Christianity as a default is gone. That was his lamentation. Christianity as a default is gone. He was trying to say, there was a time where in some parts of the world, and I believe this man spoke from where he spoke from, 
from the setting in which he was raised, in some parts of the world, like America, when you talk about America, Christianity is default. In many parts of Europe, at one particular point, Christianity was a default. Like you'd go in Arab nations and find that Islam was a default. In some nations of the world, Christianity was a default. Now it's no longer in the language of the default. Its days are gone. And then I started to look at the statistics to direct and govern my prayer. And these things are on the internet if you search out. Many of us don't take time to read. I'll help you read some of these statistics. For example, Europe was once one of the most revived parts of the world a few hundreds of years ago. The recent survey, and I say survey because these people at least care to do research. This part of the world, we don't do so much of research. We don't care for facts. We don't care for accuracies. We don't care for figures. We're not articulate in that world. Many a time we build around, you know, tabloids, small videos on YouTube, Facebook stories, Twitter, and many other things. We don't really go out to search out these matters. But because of the orientation of their minds, especially for those developed countries, research is a thing that they invest into. Because it helps you plan. It's another thing, but it's important. Anyway, research in Europe, a survey was done across Europe. And now, almost or close to 90% close to 90% of Europe no longer believes in God. Especially the younger generation. And the most pagan nation, I might use that word, is Czech Republic. A survey was done in there. And 91% of the young people between the ages of 16 to 29, that is literally in 230, 91% of the young people in Czech Republic do not believe in God. A little lower but very high in places like Estonia, Sweden, Netherlands. I saw they went country to country. There's a table there. Those are between 70 and 80%. The younger population do not believe in God. There's some hope in countries like Poland, um, Lithuania, there's a little improvement there. The bigger part of Europe has now gone back into paganism. Hence now the saying that Europe returns back to its pagan roots. When you go now to the United Kingdom, the recent survey showed in the UK alone that 71% of the youth between 18 to 24 don't believe in God. They don't believe in God. And then you have a middle number there that don't believe, but they also don't argue with God. The agnostics. And then you have a very small number that still goes to church. And between 18 years and 24 in the United Kingdom, only 3% of that number goes to the Church of England, the Anglican Church. Only 3%. Slightly about 4 or 5% go to the Roman Catholic Church. Again, I'm speaking here for any a religious institution where we are called Christians. Here, I'm not speaking about you Pentecostals only. I'm talking about the Baptists, the Presbyterians, the Adventists, the 
Roman Catholics, the Anglicans, take us all in that one group and say we are all Christians and believers in Jesus Christ. These are the realities. If you go in ages above 24 in the UK and enter into 30s, mid-30s, only 9% still, you know, connect to their God. And in this 71% of the youth, for example, that does not believe in God. That means you are remaining with a 29% that believes in God, okay? And only about 40 or 50% go in church once in a while. There's a slightly above 40% that never steps in church. It still believes God exists, but it no longer has a relationship with the church. And so one man wrote that the church in England is experiencing an ongoing and probably an irreversible collapse in its adherence because they are seeing the trends at which the churches and buildings are closing. They are seeing the trends at which the young people are living in the church. And these buildings now are up for foreclosure and some for sale because there are no people to congregate in these churches. When you go in America, United States, in the 70s, it is believed that more than 73% of the people in the United States not only did believe in God, but a huge fraction, about 80% of that number, used to go to church at least regularly in their lifetime. A few years later, 2023, only 40% in America believe in God. And a fraction that goes to church is about half of that. This is just years, okay? 40 years down the road, it is gone. That means every other day, Christianity is on the decline. Did you know, in the United Kingdom, the fastest growing faith is Islam. It's on record. Islam. And in some parts of the world, like Belgium, it's Islam. So Christianity as a default is coming to an end. What's the consequence of that? Because if our altars no longer have that power, if our altars no longer have that glory, if our altars no longer can display this Christ we're talking about, then that means the fiber of society is depraved. The human soul is corrupted beyond its own repair. And these people we raise in church are the very people that are then inclined to other spirits and forms of worship then which take them into demonic worship. And generally speaking then, we start to see the next generation, because once the church is not consecrated, your altar is not consecrated, that now spills into the lifestyle of the people. Whatever you see on your streets, whatever you see in the entertainment world, the media world, whatever perversions and disconnects you see from real life and common wisdom, it is a consequence of a church that has lost its footing and foundation in the hearts of men. Because remember, Many of these people you see live wild and wicked and crazy. All of these people at one particular point in life had an opportunity to sit before a person, but there was no power to transform, no conviction to align and plant them right as they ought to. So we take the blame for that, not the world. And now, because of that, we're living in the end of the age. So Satan has become more bold now than he has ever been before. There was a time Satan was working stealthily and creeping under unawares into the hearts and systems of nations. But now the souls to the core have started to openly not only declare their allegiance to the work of Satan, 
that he has started to do these things openly. Last year, in the Commonwealth Games, the world watched in shock and confusion as Baal, the goddess in the image of a cow, was put in Birmingham and hundreds and hundreds of millions of people were watching this life and they were calling it peace and young men and women were surrounding it bowing before it, worshipping it worshipping and worshipping Baal if you go on the internet and search out on the idols of Baal this cow you will see and she's breathing out and the eyes are red this happened in the commonwealth games before the world some of you saw it some of you haven't. And I know why some of you don't know these things. It's okay. Some of you, the problems you have, you can't think of those things. You, you have issues. End of last year, in November, there was a scandal with a cloth line designer called Balenciaga. How many of you heard of the Balenciaga scandal? Balenciaga in November dropped its holiday ad campaign featuring children holding teddy bears in bondage harnesses and costumes. This is the very spirit that was preparing our young children, sexualizing them into pornography alley. And the guy of Balenciaga, once he was warned, he then went online and repented. He said he did not know. How could he not know except his conscience has shifted? You're dressing baby bears. Take children of two years are taking pictures. It's some of the most pornographic suggestions the world has ever seen. Something is wrong with our generation. Are you following what I'm saying? Last year, one of the most famous artists in our popular music genres came out openly and started now complaining that, you know, to get to certain levels in Hollywood, Men have been subjected to sacrificing blood. The man has lost his head, now he's spilling the secrets of things some of us have suspected for quite some years because we understand, we've studied that world. You understand what I'm saying? And so some of them, I've seen two or three of them now that are coming out of Hollywood saying, you cannot have a certain success without the shedding of blood. You see, but the shedding of blood is not new. Go back and study human history. The, Az the Aztecs used to do it. The Hindus used to do it. The Egyptians used to do it. You know, some parts of Europe, uh, Germans used to do it. They used to sacrifice, you know, babies before their ships went out into war. So it's a very old thing. It's not new. It's a very, very old thing. And if you study very well the pattern, some of you realize that laws like abortion are actually the spirit behind this. Because some of them, not all, but some of them, I believe, are looking for a door to sacrifice children easily. So, um, we're living in a tougher time. We're living in a tougher time. Um, recently, the world watched again in shock at the Grammys Awards where one Sam Smith and Kim Petra performed a satanic ritual before the world and the song was called Unholy. And they did a satanic ritual. Some people had hats of the devil's horns. The whole world was on fire. One prominent television station wrote on its Twitter handle, indeed it is time for us to worship. 
This is happening before our very own eyes. It used to hide back in the day. Now they don't give a damn anymore. And Christians worry to speak the truth about these things. And the biggest shock for me was that the sponsor of that ritual was Pfizer. After that ritual in the Grammys, Pfizer passed its advertisement. The very Pfizer in some of your blood. So, the company that makes, I don't know whether some of us are not thinking, but some of us who are thinking are concerned. That's the consequence of corrupted altars. Because many of these people, we had the opportunity to touch, change, and transform. But they pick some of these things on our very own altars. I have been mentioning over the years about this thing I have been calling Neo-Pentecostal, the new version of Pentecostalism that is spreading more of New Age teaching than it is teaching the doctrine of Jesus Christ. And yes, they can use scriptures, but the core foundation of that and inspiration really is not of the Holy Spirit. And because these things look alike, it takes a certain wisdom for us to tell the difference. What can I say? If you look at many of these guys, especially who now have the biggest YouTube viewers, biggest Facebook followers, biggest views on some of our Christian televisions in the world, you could listen to this man for five, ten years and he has never spoken about the Holy Spirit. You can listen to him for 20, 15 years, faithfully preaching the gospel, quote and unquote, but he cannot talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He cannot talk about deliverance from sin. He cannot talk about those very core things that define the fundamentals of the Christian faith. Why? Because they have chosen to stay in the line of compromise and consecrated that course only to appeal to as many as they can appeal. They call it their lane. Yet really, there is no lane that you have individually except the lane with which God has defined through the message, the mandate, the doctrine. And because of that then, there's been challenges in reconciling the confusions, the fluidities, the, the other things that are coming in the church. And some of these men can't even speak. They no longer know what to do. And now we have the abortion things in the U.S., Roe and Wade. Now we have the LGBT thing that has also come out, which is also strong. And I am one of those pastors who don't believe that you should fight LGBT and beat them and accuse them and hang them and persecute them because they are dealing with the same issues. It's only that that's what they're dealing with. But, you know, that's the way you should also deal with the thieves the robbers, you see? But we befriend everyone and then we ostracize them. And I don't believe in ostracizing them. I believe in loving them right. And loving them right means to show them the truth. And, listen, pray for them. Because there are many there who want to be delivered. And I know some who not only have been delivered, but are living right. They are living right and trying to help others come out also. But some of our men now cannot talk about this conversation. In trying not to condemn them, we are loving them, which is okay, but also loving their sin, which is not right. Separate the man from the sin. We don't hate them, but 
what is seen is seen. Whether they allow us to preach on their altars or not, whether they allow us to enter their nations or not, sin stays sin. And some of us don't care. That's the truth. Are you following what I'm saying? I have prayed for some who have been restored totally. They are married, some I know them very well. They are free. They are free people. They are free. You see, some of us in loving them, we cannot show them the power because our altars don't have the power. And if there's no power to deliver, then it's our consequence or a result of us chasing the power of God off the altar. If you're not talking about the Holy Spirit, how do such people get free? You're following what I'm saying? Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. They should know that if they believe, they can be saved. They have to know that the power of God is still present. What took one out of pornography can take them out. What took one out of alcoholism can take them out. What took one out of drugs can take them out. But they have to believe in the power. But if that power is no longer there, you move around Europe. Look for me a man who can get a crippled man out of a wheelchair, a blind man to see or a deaf ear to hear. None I have met. So if there is no power, that means either you have to create a doctrine to explain your inefficiency. You understand what I'm saying? And then find yourself conflicting with a pattern of truth that God has designed. And I'm not saying again, I repeat, condemn. But the sin should be condemned, not the man. You see? And now I think also, we who preach grace have now to help find a perfect balance between grace and faith. Because I realize as though some people think that the message of grace is there to hold us into complacency because we have a plea with God where which we can repent. So in the mind of having that cover of grace then, we inexcusably stay passive in as far as we should yield to the power that comes with godly sorrow to lead us to true repentance. Instead, we are comfortable because we can say sorrow and we know heaven has carried that away. Therefore, that's okay. That's just why we're living. So stay as you are. God loves you the way as you are. Okay? Then apply that in every aspect. Eh? Apply that in every aspect. Imagine a wife comes to her husband. Her husband comes to his wife and says, Darling, I am cheating on you, but forgive me. You understand? And then because she can forgive, she forgives them. And then, and I'm going back because I have no power. But I know you're merciful. You understand? No, no, that's not how life should be. That's not how life should be. The grace of God is an aiding factor for us to live right. This sermon is not popular, but we have to say it now because our altars have lost power. The presence of God is not on our altars anymore. That's why some of our ministers, especially the ones on these international televisions, their altars don't have power. They're just speakers. They speak, they motivate, they can entertain you, but there is no power to serve. Even a devil worshiper, which doctor can come on our altars these days? I've seen even in our, you know, I've seen people welcome which doctors and they come and they're comfortable. Bring them to Fanero. Bring them. Just bring one woman and say you come and greet Apostle Grace and shake his hand. You'll see power. Do you understand what I'm saying? 
darkness and light, when they meet, one of them has to consume the other. I'm telling you, we have to get to a point where the power of God can be demonstrated. What happens if we are compromised to a place where now even our altars are serving, you know, alcohol and beers? I've seen it. Some of you have seen it. Somebody says we're loving. When they get intoxicated, they'll get born again in their intoxicated levels. Do you understand what I'm saying? The house of God has become a den of what? Thieves. Our altars now are places of transactions. We're selling oil, we're selling water. We're selling fire, we're selling rice. We're selling shoes. We're selling everything that has to be sold. What? As the Bible says, we have a form of godliness, but we deny the very power thereof. Somebody has to speak these things. I'm not speaking from hatred and anger. The Lord knows it. But you people, something is wrong with the church. I don't know whether some of you see it. Recently, somebody sent me a video of a pastor's wife, quote and unquote, and she was speaking profanities and perversions, talking about human body parts, things that were designed to be covered. She's talking about sex. She's, and I'm thinking, oh my God, there are things, wisdom, the wisdom of truth would not teach you to say. You see what I'm saying? But some of these spirits we're dealing with, if you study ancient texts, there's a spirit called Baal Pio, the God of holes. That spirit that promotes what you call public displays of affection. You understand? There are things that are consecrated for certain places. God did not design human beings to display certain affections in public. Some of you copy it from Hollywood, you copy it from everywhere, but it is not right. You can't tell me that two people can start kissing intimately before children. God has not designed us that way. You're touching, touching each other places that are not supposed, you're dealing with a spirit, you don't know what it's called. But there's a demon spirit on you. You can't just wake up and you want to dance that day. And some of us are Christians. You're like, eh? how can somebody who is born of the spirit has the Holy Ghost in them? You are sanctified and consecrated. You understand what I'm saying? Because that's the generation we're living in. Kids are dancing, daddy dances and twerking before their fathers. Oh, that's all right. It's okay. And now it has now come even on our altars. It has come on our altars. That's the generation you're entering tomorrow where you're going to now need to explain to your children the meaning of certain things. You have heard now in the United Kingdom by September, children are going to be taught all orientations of sex. How many years? Four, five, six? I don't know. You understand? I saw a book the other day in one European country which was being even sent into the schools and given to parents teaching them to have sex in the presence of their children. It's happening somewhere in Europe. I don't know whether something is wrong with me, but something is wrong. I don't know. The world is shifting in ways. You understand? I saw a man on television and some secular movie star was laying hands on him because he had given him a million dollars. But the movies this guy acts, again, are promoting certain things that are conflicting with truth. And he can lay hands and he's also slain. And I'm thinking, what? You are slain by a movie actor who acts profanities in his actions and speaks things a normal man cannot speak. Now he's on the altar, he's consecrated enough because he has given you a million dollars. But something is wrong with the church. Some of you fear, but some of us have gotten to a point where we all got a certain responsibility. 
We don't care. We don't care who does not agree with us, but certain things have to be spoken. We are ready for the persecutions that come with that, but some madness has come in the world and we cannot raise our children in certain things. No. No, 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 no. Something's wrong. Something is wrong. Something is wrong. They showed a very popular artist in one of the best, you know, music groups of churches. And uh, I think some of you saw on the news where the, the ministry disconnected from him openly. This fellow is before television. He is praising Lil Nas, a boy who openly, who openly does demonic worship. He kisses fellow men. He's doing this. He sells shoes with blood. He, like the guy is sworn in. Every sign of demonology is on that young man. And then this Christian boy says he's dreaming to see the other guy sing. So you're like, you know, I used to have a problem with this newer breed of worship eh? because you put on YouTube and something has left the altar and power that comes with worship. Something has left the altar of worship. Oh yeah, they are singing very well. The songs are nice, but there's no presence. There's no presence. I don't know whether some of you understand what I'm saying. Back in the day, darling, Czech would get a song and start singing and you feel like you need to repent. Ron Kennelly would sing and you feel like heaven has opened. You understand? Michael W. Smith would sing and then you feel like things are moving in your spirit. You feel like you need to go in the place of prayer. You understand? But then today, young man sings knowing that something is, something is lost. You don't see that they speak from the experience of a man who has had the revelation of Jesus Christ. They speak. Am I talking to somebody? Something is happening. Something is happening because these worships are not healing cancers. These worships are not making crippled men walk. These worships are not opening deaf ears. No. I have realized and the Lord showed me some of them are literally worshiping men out of the convictions they need because they minister comforts of false hopes and position men in places where they're only healing to cover their indifferences, to further stay crazy. Because for them, once they sing for four hours, they think they're revived. That's not revival. That's not revival not power. You can sing for 20 years, the devil cares little. But there has to be an equal measure of power that is demonstrated because I have worshipped God. Listen, as hard as this is going to come, somebody had to speak it. And there's a reason why God raised us. We are losing our young people. You saw recently in Uganda here, these kids were going for prom. You understand? You saw. Your kids have already been infiltrated. Infiltrated already. I don't know who is doing that, but something's happening in our generation that we have no control over. But again, it begins with us here. The altar is corrupted. That day I saw a video of a young man, a wonderful minister, many views on YouTube. And he was teaching about <laughs> um, Jesus Christ finding a blind man and then he gets clay and then spits on that clay and then, you know, he makes something out of that spittle and then puts on the eyes of the man who is blind and the man sees. So this guy is demonstrating, uses the word demonstration, of course. He's explaining that his message really is that God can actually save, heal you, deliver you through the hardest, most incongruent, most, you know, unreconciled 
you know, most crazy ways. And so his mind is, it doesn't matter how dirty or whatever Jesus puts on you, if he's putting it on you for your healing, then it's worth it. And I agree with him on that. But you see, the problem was, he called somebody on the altar and then he, you know, pulled sputum from his throat, the deepest he could go, spat it and filled it with his palm. And because he wants to show these dull ears, he puts it on the guy's face and the thing goes slimy like that. You understand? Aha, uh -huh. people did that. And then he told them, you see, this is how some of you will feel, but Jesus is delivering. And I'm trying to tell this young man, there's a difference between putting sputum on somebody's face and anointing his eyes. The scriptures in John says he anointed the eyes of the blind man. So, what separates the illustration from the demonstration is this. He was illustrating. Jesus didn't illustrate. Jesus demonstrated. Get a blind man. Get a blind man. And put that same spit on his eyes and the eye will see. Little will we care. In fact, salvation will come. But the problem is, they have that form of godliness, but they deny the very power. The power has left their altars. Go back to the 70s when I told you in America where the biggest percentage of people were Christians. Again, you'll see the correlation there was the powers present. The Orobats were alive. And many other guys which had come through the Word of Faith movement, they were demonstrated that Kenneth E. Huggins were alive, healing the sick. There was a lot of available power. And because that available power did certain things in the lives of people, transformation was there. We cannot preach a gospel that is motivational, that is just politically correct, but it cannot get into the core heart of a man to convict them not only out of sin, but to take whatever demon is troubling them. Ladies and gentlemen, we have to transition beyond motivation. The gospel of Jesus Christ is not mere talk. No, it is the power of God. 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 But once the power leaves our altars, we are only sounding symbols. We're empty cans making noise. And now the people who can tell the difference cannot sit in the church anymore because they're also confused. Oh my goodness, by show of hands, how many of you have walked out of church before? You had, at one point you say, ah, I don't understand these things. Let me walk out. Put up your hands. You see those hands? That's exactly what I'm trying to tell you. Because the church can confuse you to a place where you no longer know whether God exists or not. Whether God exists or not. That's where we are. That's a sad world you guys are living in. We are living any day and we are going to raise children. And the Lord told me that the sons of Abraham are going to reconcile on some of these laws. They might not agree on many things, but there are things they are not going to agree on. They carry pride in their work. We don't carry the pride of the gospel. They can match for their pride, but you cannot match for the gospel. Are you following what I'm saying? They had their Netflix, had a movie, and interestingly, the stars of that movie were given an award in a certain award-winning ceremony recently. And in that movie, Jesus Christ was depicted as a gay man and Mary was taking weed. <laughs> oh yes, you can't do that in the Muslim world. If you talk about Muhammad like that, they'll kill you. I'm not saying Christians should attack them. I'm only trying to tell you we do not wage war with flesh and blood. God has to raise a generation that can speak some things and certain houses here because Jesus, the name, has been belittled to a place where 
it doesn't carry power in certain spaces anymore. Not because he's not a power, but because the power of God has left our altars. They are empty. They are dead. They are dead. They are full of war. They are full of indifference. They are full of divisions. Look at the divisions in the church today. Something is so demonic. Even our own fathers can't meet on the same table except a politician summons them. They can't agree on anything. We're biting, killing, shooting each other in the foot. You're wrong, I'm right. You're right, I'm wrong. You're a thief, you're a liar, you're a cheater. But all of them are sins. God help us. We're all sinners. Are you following what I'm saying? Recently, I heard of campaigns in the Christian faith and men were paying money to be voted into Christian offices. Paying money. What happened to the Holy Spirit? So what's the difference between that leader, Christian, and a politician? Where is the power that used to convict men into saying this is the one? Where is the Holy Spirit that used to convict the hearts of men to say this is the one? Because now we're fighting for power. The power of the world. And we are concerning the power of God. What happened to those days like the book of Acts says where a man preaches the gospel demonstrates power in the book of Acts 19. And the Bible says, and this was known to all the Jews and the Greeks also dwelling at Ephesus. And fear fell on them because of the power the Pauls were demonstrating. And the name of the Lord Jesus Christ was magnified. And many that believed came and confessed and showed their deeds. Many of them which also used curious acts brought their books together and burned them before all men. And they counted the price of them and found 50,000 pieces of silver. These guys brought witchcraft to the altar and says, no, we have seen a God higher. Now our witch doctors eat land with us. Nothing, nothing convicts them. Because the altars have lost power. Our generation doesn't pray. Our generation doesn't pray. We're not praying people. There's a lot that has compromised. And I'm telling you, if you're reading the statistics in Europe and America, what do we have here that was not imported from there? Except God revisits the soul of our nation and the foundation of our histories and starts to remove some of the strands that are imported. Either way, what we're reading in Europe or America is bound to come any day unless there is a shift in culture and understanding. Yeah, I was watching a program a couple of years ago. Was it called uh, uh, Preachers of What? Yeah, and these guys, the way they are living, <laughs> the way they talk to each other, and for them, it's like a reality show because you love drama. You understand? But the way they are living, the way they are talking, the way they are acting, the things they are doing, something just wrong. Now, for a person who has been born again for quite some time and you've not yet been corrupted, your mind is already disturbed. One famous writer said that when the madness of an entire nation disturbs a solitary mind, you could say the man is mad. You know, like a nation can be so mad that you who is alone, you would think you're the mad one. They might actually think you're the mad one, but something is wrong. These guys are divorcing, marrying and divorcing before the camera. They're doing all kinds of things. They're abusing each other. They're speaking things. They had the one famous artist, an old man, a general in worship, you know, was singing songs. He called it hyperbole. And, you know, he was talking about how the lamb and the lion are bowing down to the goat. And some of us who study Baal worship, goat is also a symbol of Baal. And, and some of us are confused. The guy said, no, it was hyperbole. I didn't intend. But you ask yourself the question, what spirit inspired him to create such a conflict on the altar? But then we understand the altar he was on was an altar of the devil. And they are saying, oh, you know, God sent us in the world. And then you ask them how many were saved. No, you're just ministering to the comforts of men who are already dead and cannot live. But 
can accept the conveniences that come from a spirit that has no power. You understand what I'm saying? If you say this, you say, this guy is attacking, they attacked you. You know, some of you are very sick. Already you're part of the generation I'm talking about. Because somebody will say, this guy was attacking so and so. Some of us have no time to attack people. No. No, you just don't know us. You just don't know us. And God can judge that. But let me tell you something. Our generation is losing it. It begins with a fall away. And I'm not telling you to point at the other brother or sister. I'm telling you to point on yourself and see how many ways we have not only reconciled with darkness, but tolerated certain things that are not supposed to be, you know, tolerated and agreed with in our spirits. How many little compromises are throwing us off? You know, you find people in church, but we are even now going to a point of now examining whether some of you who are in church are really born again. Because there are things, when you have the Holy Spirit of God, there are things you can't say. There's a way you can't be. I'm not saying that you're not going to be weak, but I've told people, where the doctrine is alive and a man still keeps conviction, it doesn't matter how far they fall, we can get them back. What about those whose consciences now, like the Bible says, have been seared? They no longer can hear conviction anymore. They no longer can be convicted. You can't tell them that, brother, what you're doing is wrong anymore because they no longer see that it is wrong anymore. Something burnt that conscience. And there are many every other day. And as I was reading through scriptures, all these things that are painful to our hearts, all of them carry the word many, many, many. For me, everything I was reading, the word many kept coming through. Many, 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 many. That's the pain. And I could read you some scriptures if you want to hear. Matthew 24, verses 12. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. Because when iniquity abounds, the love for God starts to die out of our spirit. But what killed me there was many. I wish he said a few. They're not talking about unbelievers here. They're talking about believers of the gospel. Luke 21, verses 8. And he said, take heed that ye be not deceived, for many shall come in my name, saying, I'm Christ, and the time draweth near. Go ye not there after them. Second Corinthians 2.17, for we are not as many which corrupt the word of God, but as of sincerity, but as of God, in the sight of God speak we in Christ. Everything had many. Beware, for there are many false prophets that move into the world. Many. I'm like, oh God. No wonder Peter said that if the righteous has scarcely saved, and what befalls the ungodly and the sinner if the righteous are scarcely saved? The judgment has to begin in our house. Oh yeah, this is a grace preacher. <laughs> but judgment has to begin here. We have to deal with ourselves. Some of you, you're in church, but you're falling away. You enjoy service, but you're falling away. In your character, you're falling away. In your way of life, you're falling away. You're in church preaching, speaking in tongues, but you're falling away. You're not living right. You're falling away. Every day, you're doing things in your life that are, you're falling away. I'm not here to judge you. I'm here to tell us something is happening and we have to do something about it. People are falling in the church where we're supposed to be redeemed and restored. Are you following me, child of God? There's a fall away. How do you sleep with someone you're not married and you don't feel convicted? Like nothing, nothing convicts you. You understand? Those, God help us. God help us. God help us. God help us. Some of those things, 
yeah, some, we are falling off. God help us. God help us, our Uganda. God help us. A man refuses to give somebody healing because you must buy a certain oil to heal. Yes. And these are things that were freely given to us. Eh? A man says, this is my mobile application. You have to pay $20 every month to listen to my sermons. Without that, you'll not access my sermons. You die if you have to, but look for the $20. What's wrong with the world? You see, the love for money is the root of all evil. It begins with that love. Some of us have loved money more than we've loved souls. You want the rich to do this? The poor are here. You know, you understand that? There, when, when the rich person does some wrong, doesn't matter what they've done, as long as they're the ones contributing cement to the building, you're not going to call them to say, you know what, what you're doing is wrong. Why? Because you're already compromised. But somebody has to speak. Are you following what I'm saying? Something has to change. Something has to change. We cannot see this, the move of God as we ought to, when we no longer even have the bearing, the right compass of what is true. Because some of our older people have even lost it. Now, some of us are becoming fathers at a very young age. Very young age. You see? Because those are signs of a failing system in the church of Jesus Christ. The Bible tells you that the younger debase the older. Why? Because some have abused their own place. We are routing mischief by some law. We are using the scriptures to lead the church into deeper sin. Instead of bringing them to salvation. The Bible calls that the throne of iniquity. Routing mischief by some law. Somebody uses the Bible to justify a sin. You know it's wrong, but you're using scripture to justify it. And that has to be okay with us because you have a name. No. Because you promised to do this. So no, no, no. You do whatever you want. But we're not going to agree with what's wrong. God help us. God help us. And I'm asking you people, where something is not true, stand. Because many are at our side than those which are in the world. Are you following what I'm saying? And it doesn't matter how many people hate us for truth. The point is let's stay true. Because let me tell you, some of us fear God, not men. No, 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 no. We, born-again Christians, are crazier than any madness you see there. They've just not tested us. Let me tell you, we are crazier than any madness you see out there. Because we have a history of men who have died for this thing. They've shed blood, they've sacrificed their lives, their children and babies are buried because of this gospel. Don't think that we are not ready to preach the gospel. You're joking. I don't care how hard it is. Some of you must understand that we stand on shoulders of men who died for this truth. What are we going to tell Jesus Christ on that day? How do you stand next to a man who was martyred for speaking the truth? What glory do you have? Some of you must develop some backbone. You must develop some backbone. Unless you're not born again, but some of you must grow some backbone. What's wrong? Say it is wrong. And help us. Because maybe even us men of God, we are falling because you're not helping us. Some are not correctable. I am correctable. Correct me. Engage me and correct me. Because I so want to go to heaven. I so want to go to heaven. Do you understand what I'm trying to tell you? But something has to work. It has to change. The fall away is coming. 
Don't be among them which fall away. No, stand steadfast to the end. And some of you, I can give you a few simple lessons of staying afloat. I'll give you two or three. Number one, the Bible says, make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you shall never fall. Find something to do in the church. Many of you are in fall mode because there is nothing you're doing in the presence of God. Nothing. You're literally just there. Just come and enjoy service and go back home. No. What's your election? What is your calling? You might not stand on the altar like I am. But whatever the Lord has called you, even if you just come and spend 10 minutes and arrange chairs in the last minutes of the service, God will count that. But if you're not going to fall, find something to do in the church. Two, if you say you're submitted to a ministry, be fully accountable. If your pastor, your minister calls you out and says, brother, this you're doing is wrong. Listen. If they can prove it by scripture, listen. Because some of you, you're so rebellious, you can only submit to what you can control. You're actually manipulative in nature. You're in charge only for the transaction. Once the transaction is done, you go. And you see when people say you have made the house of God a den of thieves because they were transacting monies and silver coins and gold and selling pigeons. Some of you don't know that now you're the temple of God. And if you come in the church of Jesus Christ for a transaction, you've come only because you want a husband, a car. You've not come to build a relationship with God. The temple of God is transacting. Yet he says, my temple, my house, shall be a house of prayer. But why are you a thief? Because you're trying to come and take what the hand of God is able to give you, but never the revelation of what his heart wants to do in you. So you cannot take the responsibility of what God would require of you because you are receiving. Yet to whom much is given, much is required. Number three, where you find wrong, don't compromise. Call it wrong. Let me tell you, by this someone, I know some pastors will never call me again to their pulpit. You know what? I don't care. I don't care. I don't care. I can lose friends in this service, and I don't care. But you see, what's true must be what? Must be true. What if one day the world is remained with 10,000 faithfuls out of the billions of the earth? If there are 10,000, I should be among them because... When we received Jesus, we received him for real. We got born again for real. Truly, by the time we get to that level, the Son of God will return. He will return. I don't want to get to heaven and, and I'm given a seat at the gate. Ah, no. Let me lose my popularity here, uh, but sit next to Paul. This is a short life. This is a short life. This is a short life. But let's begin by calling true, true, and false, false. Don't attack men of God. Don't attack ministries. No. Don't go on the internet. No, 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 no. That's why I've not mentioned names of men of God. It's deliberate. You understand what I'm saying? I can mention those of the world, but I don't mention of names and ministries because our heart is not to attack. But as an apostle, I feel something in there is beating. It's saying something is wrong. Something is wrong. Something is wrong. Speak. Oh, God help us. I think that's our prayer. I think that's our prayer. 
That's our prayer. That's our prayer. That's our prayer. God help us. God help us. We repent, oh God, for ourselves, even on behalf of those who have not yet understood this. But we feel the heart of heaven. We feel the pain of the spirit. As many have defected from the truth and chosen to preach fables, endless genealogies, ministering to the lusts of men. Help us, God. Help us. Help us. I can't speak against, but help us, including me, Lord. Help us stand. We can't lose what we received. Some of us can't go back from where we came from. If we go, we will die. Help us, oh God. Help our fellow ministers understand this message. Help us stand in these days. Help them understand we don't hate them. But the truth must be preached. In Jesus' name we prayed and believed. Amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. If you're sick in your body, I speak healing. If you're struggling in any aspect of life, pornography, perversion, God deliver you. 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 Help us, Lord. In Jesus' name. Now, if you're here and you've never given your life to Jesus, I want to give you an opportunity to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You're going to repeat these words after me. Say, Father, I thank you for the gift of Jesus. Today, I came forward because I want my life changed. I want to live a life of salvation. Your Bible says that if I believe with my heart and confess with my mouth, I will be saved. So today, with my heart, I believe that Jesus died for my sins and was raised for my glory. And I confess that he is Lord and Savior of my life. Amen. This sermon has been brought to you by Fenero Ministries International. For more information, contact us on telephone number plus 256-200-999400 or email us at info at You can also find us on the web at www.fenero.org. Follow us on our social media platforms on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Subscribe to our YouTube channel at Fenero Ministries International. Or better still, feel free to join us every Thursday for our weekly fellowship at the Uma Upper Gardens from 5 p.m. to 9 p.m. and for our Sunday services at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. at the Uma Multipurpose Hall. Fenero, make manifest.